This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and this week I am filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who is out of town for this week and uh, part of next. And so that means that I get to do the show. The show will continue uh, doing what we normally do here. The reason why the Word to Stand On for Life exists is so we can take your questions, um, help you understand what the Bible says, Um, how to put the Word of God into practice in your life. And and the bottom line is this, so that we can help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. So with that, let me give you the phone numbers to call in. 210-340-9585-210-340-9585-877-630-5757. That's 877-630-5757. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com. You can submit your question there. You can use our church app. Uh, There's a form there to submit a question if you want to do it that way. Um, There's also the KSLR mobile app. You can use that to call into the show. There at the top, there is a call now banner. If you're in your car, it's super easy. You don't have to mess with your phone. Just click on that. And then it'll take you right to the radio station. So I already told you it's the Wednesday edition. That means here at Calvary Chapel, it is our Old Testament Bible study night. And since Pastor Ron is out of town, we have Pastor Elaine teaching tonight. That's going to be a wonderful treat. So if you're interested, 7 o'clock tonight here at Calvary uh, Chapel, or you can watch online at calvarysa.com. All right. Okay, well, let's continue with the questions uh, our first one from today is from Art. Uh, Art says, I watch a lot of witnessing videos on YouTube. I'm not 100% certain what exact words he used, but I've heard Ray Comfort say that witnessing to people about Jesus has to be done a certain way or that it's most effective when it's done this way. Maybe I misunderstood, but it didn't sit well with me. Your thoughts? Well, Art, uh, number one, I would say this. uh, Stay away from witnessing methodologies. Uh, We don't need them. Witnessing methodologies and and programs and tactics and, and, you know, there's a bunch of them out there. And... The intention, I'm going to assume, is good. We want people to get saved. And so these tactics, these programs, they show you how to win people to Jesus using a certain formula. Uh, But the problem is, it reduces the message of hope, this treasure that we have, this message of hope. It's reduced to really a gimmicky sales pitch. And I understand that a lot of them are biblically based, but why not just use the Bible? And, and you mentioned you watch a lot of videos on YouTube, and, um, you know, Ray Comfort, I know, is a believer. I'm sure that there's a lot of fruit from those videos, because there's a ton of them on YouTube, but this is what I would say. Just share the Word of God with people. Share the Word of God. The videos on YouTube, especially the ones that have titles like, you know, use this on your Jehovah Witness friend and they'll get, a hun- they'll get saved for sure. I mean, you know, the truth is 
those kinds of things are embarrassing. You want someone to get saved. Yes, we do. Well, then share Jesus with them from the Word of God. It says this, too, in Paul's letter to Titus, when he talks about slaves and employees, he says something so beautiful, and this, I believe, is the best way to witness. Paul says that that slaves or employees need to be fully trusted so that in every way they make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So, Art, how you live your life is the best way to witness. People need to see something real, especially if they're people that work with you, people that that live in your house. They want to know how you act when things don't go your way. They don't want to know how smart you are. And and unfortunately, a lot of uh, you know these things online are 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 tactics that that unbelievers can see right through. When you're witnessing to people, you, your heart needs to go out to them. You have to genuinely care for them. And and if you do, you're just going to engage in normal conversation. I think of Pastor Ron all the time when I'm with them, when we travel sometimes to conferences, and we, we sit at the airport. And when you're at the airport, you're in a place where people are sitting, waiting, all in the same place, and some people are scrolling on their phones, and what we're doing is we're scanning the room. We're looking at people, trying to engage in conversations, and we just talk to them. Not offering a a sales pitch, we're not trying to sell them anything. We see people who are empty, who are hurting. Some of them already know the Lord, and you know what? Their face lights out when we talk to them about Jesus. Some don't, and some don't want to, and that's okay. But there's no tactic, there's no specific way it has to be done. I would say what you say is more important than, than the method and the tactic that you use in saying it. Just talk about Jesus. I hope that helps, Art. Well, let's go right to our phone lines. We've got Nancy from San Antonio. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. I tried calling Hi, Nancy. today, but... Yeah, the the uh, program was almost over, so um, I didn't get to talk. Um, but uh, I was wanting to respond something to Margaret that was on later later in the show yesterday. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, I I was yeah I was getting in my car um, when I turned on the radio uh, to go to work, and and I only caught the end of that, so I I didn't hear the whole story about her son. But I I do know that um, they're not speaking right now, and. Um, that she's praying for him, and she's obviously um, distraught uh, over conditions going on. But I just wanted to encourage her that hmm. a mother's prayer is very powerful um, mm. for a child. Uh, I uh, I was the prodigal for thirty years, and um, oh wow, my my mom uh, has has since passed uh, almost two years now, and uh, before she passed away. Thank God she had um, the privilege of knowing that her prayers were answered because oh, I'm now, yes. yeah, I'm now working, walking with the Lord on, on a daily basis and uh, always seeking to do His will. And, um, you know, you just you can't give up. It's, it's persistence in prayer that, that, that gets through sometimes. And just remember, if Margaret's listening, just remember, always remember that um, we look at years. Thirty is a long time. We look at those years in agony, thinking, "Oh, is it ever going to happen before they pass away?" You know. But to God, it's just an open book. You know, He's looking here and there, and it's it's just a, right. another another spot for Him that He He's taking care of. But we look at the time. So just just keep keep in mind that those prayers keep keep going up and. Uh, have people join in with you on those prayers so you agree, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, it, 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 it will come to pass. You know, just, just keep believing. And, you know, I, I just wanted to encourage her. That, that's the reason I was calling in. Oh, thank you so much, Nancy. Okay. Your call, just to encourage Margaret, blessed numerous, hundreds, if not even 
thousands of people that are listening because your situation and your story of 30 years, 30 years being the, the prodigal for so long and then to come back and just, I can't imagine, or I could imagine with the, the joy that welled up in your mom's heart with seeing that that's what we pray for. So thank you, Nancy, for sharing your heart. Thank you for encouraging Margaret among numerous other parents listening. And, and Pastor Ken, one one more side note here. Yes. When when the Holy Spirit, you know, grabbed my heart and and just brought me back into the fold, there there was a scripture that came to me, and and I know it, without a shadow of a doubt, um, it it was a spark that lit a flame, and it was the scripture in Psalms that says. Uh, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin mm-hmm. against you. And uh, it just hit me strong that I did not know God's word. That's why I so easily fell into the sin that I did and walked so many years in that sin thinking it was okay. And so when I heard that scripture, God lit a flame under me and I could not put the I could not put the Bible down. Every instant I had to read, I was reading, and I did read every single word nonstop wow. as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. My brother was—he was like totally. He says, "Boy, I wish I had that desire." You know, he's a Christian too, and he does read in, in the Bible. But he, a lot of people don't have that strong desire to know what God's word word is. But he told me, he says, "This is what happened. You didn't know my word." So it was so easy for you to go your own way. So I had to know what his word said. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love the fact, Nancy, that you brought that up in the Word of God from Psalm 119. But thank you for your call. I have a couple of thoughts on this that I'd like to elaborate. But uh, this, this is such a huge blessing because what you emphasize, what you just emphasized, Nancy, is the absolute truth. There is no move of God's Spirit apart from God's Word. Uh, and and the psalm that you quoted is is all about God's word, and from the beginning to the very end, it is the the word of God that's planted deep in the hearts of men that always comes up when when the Holy Spirit comes alongside it and quickens us. It's like He's getting our attention and says, "You know what? You know better than this." John chapter sixteen. You know when the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's exactly what happened to you, Nancy. I love that. So thank you again. All right. All right. Thank you. Oh, what, what, a, what a blessing. I, I wanted to talk about this. As Nancy was sharing, and she brought up Psalm 119. You know, for 30 years, just imagine what that's like. And some of you listening in the radio audience probably know what that's like. Maybe if you're listening and you are the prodigal that knows enough, but you're still far away from the Lord, uh, my question to you is this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I ask people all the time. They know verses and they can recite them, um, but they just don't want to come back to the Lord. They're waiting for things to get more painful. I don't know, but I always ask them, what are you waiting for? 30 years is a long time. But I love how Nancy put it in perspective. It's a long time for us, but in God's eyes, I mean, he's outside of time and space. He knows the beginning and the end. And he knew when that day would come, when Nancy would repent and come back to Jesus. One of the things that I mentioned to Margaret that I go back on and I lean upon this, is when Paul is encouraging Timothy in his second letter. And he's saying to Timothy, dealing with rebellious people. I mean, this is many of us. We know people who have drifted from the Lord, who've fallen away, and our heart hurts for them. And I love Paul's counsel to Timothy and how to deal with them. He says, don't fight, don't argue. But the last part, when he says there in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, in the hope, gently instruct them in the hope that God will grant them repentance that's 
leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the enemy. That's exactly what happened to Nancy. That's exactly what happened to so many of us. And if you're the parent that is praying for your wayward child, just like Nancy said, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Be with Jesus. He's the one that knows the beginning and the end. And, and like I told Margaret yesterday, he's often working at times when we don't even realize he is. Well, thank you, Nancy, for your call. That really is an encouragement. I can't help but think of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, and specifically thinking of the father as he waits with his eyes cast over the horizon. His heart is hurting waiting for his son to return. But once the son returns and he sees the shadow starting to appear over the horizon, he runs to his son. He doesn't stand there and wait. He doesn't cross his arms. He doesn't pound his feet and and, and wait impatiently. He runs to him, celebrates his return. That's how it is for all of us. Okay, well, what a blessing What a blessing. Thanks again, Nancy. Okay, let's move back to our questions. The phone number, 210-340-9585. That's the toll-free number. And then the email address, one more time, is questions at calvarysa.com. Next question is from April. How can we best show our children Jesus and avoid favoritism? Interesting. In parentheses, April says, in actions and in heart. I love this. And this is a perfect segue from uh, Nancy's call. You know, I can't help but think, well, when we love our children... You know, Luke chapter 15 is just one example of God's heart for his children towards us. Well, in the same way that Jesus loves us, we are to love our children. And, you know, when it comes to favoritism, I mean, I don't know. I, I always think about Jesus when he said... Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. He's saying, hey, let's, don't make a single-file line. Don't, don't, don't worry about who's getting more attention. Just let them all come. And, and in my mind, when I picture Jesus with the children, uh, all of them are his favorite. All of them are. And, and, and in a way that only Jesus can, April, he, he makes each one feel like they're his favorite. I love that. I love that. Now, how do we do that? Your question says, how do we avoid favoritism? I don't know how you avoid it. I just know you love them the way Jesus does. You know, they're all your favorites, we sort of have an inside joke in our house. We've got little kids, and they're all affectionate. But, but I'll joke with them and whisper, you're my favorite, because, well, you're the one that's closest to me right now. So we'll hug them, and then the next one comes along, you're my favorite. And they all know what I say. It's kind of a joke. But I want them all to feel loved. I want them all to feel Jesus' love, because that's the way he loves us. And you remember... April, when, when Jesus went to turn over the money changer's table the second time, and in Matthew chapter 21, when he deals with that, and he's, he's got a righteous anger dealing with that, clearing out the, the, the temple court area, the children are right there, and he goes right to the children. I'm imagining him sitting down after he puts down the whip, and he sits down with them. And he loves the children. Same way. They're all shouting Hosanna to the Son of God. And 
and he's there just loving on them. And he's not worried about which one is uh, being his favorite or, or he's not worried about favoritism. He's just loving on them. And I think that's the way we as parents should love our children. We show them Jesus' love. That's the best way. I would also add this, April. And you, when you ask, what's the best way to show our j- children Jesus? We also have to show our children how we live our lives. There cannot be any duplicity in the home. In other words, if we know how to talk about Jesus, but the way we act is contradictory to what we say, it can't be one of those situations where we say, well, I want you to do what I tell you, but not do as I act. And that just simply doesn't fly. I don't care if your child is five years old. They pick up on that already. And so the best way we can show them Jesus is by showing that we are submissive, we are submitted to his authority. This is Jesus' house with Jesus' rules. And because I am submitted to the authority of God's word and the Holy Spirit guiding me, then you have to follow that example. I tell the men on Monday nights, oftentimes, because men, we we deal with a lot of pride issues. And uh, too often, men have, Christian men have, a misconception that being the spiritual leader of your home means you, you get to rule your home with an iron rod and a scepter, you're, that you're the king of your castle. You get to kick your feet up after a long day's work and, and ask for a sandwich to be delivered to you. Oh, that's, that's not how you love your children the way Jesus does. When I tell the man, look, we work hard. We go to work and we come home and we're tired. But right before we step inside the door, we need to be filled with his spirit because ministry starts when we walk inside. It doesn't matter what's going on in the home. Maybe everybody's had a hard day. Maybe some people are in a bad mood. Maybe somebody needs some encouragement. And you know what? The best way to show our children Jesus is when we walk into the home, I'm not going to be uh, manipulated by or impacted by whatever's going on in the home. I'm going to impact the home for the Lord. I'm going to bring home encouragement. I'm going to bring home Jesus. And you know what? Maybe they're having a great day. And they're, 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 they can't wait to see us come home from a long day's work, well, then we get to encourage one another. But that's the way we show our children Jesus. Yo, April, I I hope that helps. I know I went off slightly on a tangent, but there's so many facets to, to your question. When you simply ask, what's the best way to show our children Jesus? It's the way you live your life, the way you live your life. And in your home, I would say this too, something I just thought about, in your marriage, your marriage has to honor the Lord. How you treat one another. And April, I don't know who you are and I don't know if you're married, but if you are, then make sure your children see parents that love one another, that are patient with each other, parents who exercise grace and kindness and affection for one another can't think of a better way to show our children Jesus. And if it isn't that way, well then you you can't tell the children to change. You have to change. It starts with the parents. It starts with the husband in the home. And once you start to show affection and show the love that Jesus has poured into your heart, Romans chapter 5, that love that's poured into your hearts, you pour out onto the children. 
oh, I promise you, they will feel like, each one of them will feel like they're the favorite. They can't wait to be the recipient of that love in the same way that we love to be loved on by Jesus. I, I, I can't think of a better way to describe how best to show our children Jesus. How you act at home and, and your marriage, April. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are at the end of the first half of the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and The Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and if you're just tuning in, I have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor, uh, Pastor Ron, who is out of town today, and he's out of town this week. And so I will be filling, him, uh, filling in for him on the show. The show will continue. We are here to take your Bible questions, questions about Jesus and how you can put the Word of God into practice in your life. One quick reminder, tomorrow is the date day edition, my favorite day of the week, because that means I get to sit here in the studio with my beautiful wife sitting right across from me. I want to stare into her, her face, and we get to talk about Jesus. I can't think of anything better. That's tomorrow at 4 o'clock on the Word to Stand Up for Life. But in t- today, we'll go ahead and continue with the show as usual. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. Okay, we've got a caller on line one. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. Good. I can hear you, too. Um, as a, as a, the, the kind of uh, opposite end of the spectrum from your, your closing on the first uh, part of the show, what does one do when they find their self as the pariah, <laughs> if you know what I mean, uh, and I'm I'm going to hang up and listen to how you wade through that or dismiss it. Hi, okay, Ray. So, and it's funny because when you when you called into the show, and I know you, Ray. You're a regular caller. I love the way you. <laughs> Put your name in with the uh, radio producer. Somebody, he knows my voice. He'll recognize me. <laughs> I absolutely do, Ray. I know exactly who you are. Thanks for calling. So let me answer your question. What do you do if you find yourself being the pariah? And I'm going to assume here, since I think you hung up already, but I'm going to assume here since you're talking in the context of the previous question, in the home, uh, if you are the pariah or you are the the outcast, the one that is kind of rejected and set aside and ignored, I'm going to assume that's what you mean. And if that's the case, uh, Ray, when, when a person is treated that way in their home, well, then I would counsel them to fix their eyes upon Jesus. He's the one that was treated as an outcast. He's the one that was rejected by his own people. He's the one, and I picture this, when he was on the cross suffering and dying for, for, for the people that were spitting upon him because he was with the Father, filled with the Spirit, he didn't retaliate. He didn't get angry at them. But what he did, Ray, 
as he said, Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. Now, that is staggering because if anyone, if anyone deserved to cast uh, judge uh, to carry out judgment on the people that were persecuting him, it would have been Jesus. But that's not what he did. And I, I, I believe that's an example for us. So when we are mistreated, when we are outcast, when we are the pariah in our home, in our marriage, among our friends, in our family, in our class, wherever it may be, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember he was the one that was outcast. He was the one that was rejected. Now here's the difficulty with this, right? If we don't do that, the enemy is right there whispering into our ear. And what the enemy will say is, is those people that are casting you out, those people that are rejecting you, they're the enemy. And because of our flesh, because of our emotions, if we're not with Jesus, we'll believe it. And the enemy always wants us to believe that people are the enemy. But the truth is, the enemy is the enemy. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our homes. And he knows that all he needs to do is take, uh, get us, trick us into taking our eyes off of Jesus. Well, when people mistreat us, when they're mean to us, our flesh wants to focus on them. And when we focus on people, that means we're taking our eyes off of Jesus. And the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, we're, we're dead meat. We're toast. We're opening the door for the enemy to come in and just to mess with us. It doesn't mean that the way people are treating you is justified. It doesn't mean that you, know, you deserve to be treated that way. But what it does mean is this. You're not going to fall for the trap that the enemy's trying to set before you. You're going to fix your eyes upon Jesus. Let him work on your heart. And that'll free up the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of everybody else in the home. But the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus and we fix our eyes upon people, we make them the enemy, uh, we're going to treat them like the enemy, and then we're going to sin. So I, I, I know that isn't encouraging, but... It is encouraging in the sense that Jesus went through it before us as an example. And because he did it for us and he did it before us, then we can do the same thing because he lives in us. I hope that makes sense, Ray. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Um, this is uh, a timely message, I believe, for many, many listeners. One of the things that, that breaks my heart more than anything in counseling is when I'm sitting in a room with people, husband and wife usually, that, that you can tell they are hurting. And, and the pain and the anger and the resentment, they're just unwilling to budge because of what the other person's done. And I'm sure if I were to ask uh, them, one would say, uh, both would say, well, I'm the pariah, I'm the outcast, I'm the one that's rejected and mistreated. But if our focus is on ourselves, we're never going to see Jesus. If our focus is on others and what they've done to us, we're never going to see Jesus. Our focus needs to be on Jesus and Jesus alone so that he can deal with our hearts. Thank you for the call, Ray. I really appreciate it. And yes, you do have a very distinct and recognizable voice. Our next question is from Daniel. Daniel says, can you elaborate on the idea 
of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is, is quite simply fellowship with Jesus. It's being with Jesus. You know, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, among many of his other letters, but he says to them in the closing of his second letter that he wants the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with them. Well, guess what? There's no deep theological meaning to that other than just be with Jesus in everything that you do. 2 Corinthians is a wonderful letter that describes the so many different facets of ministry, the heartbreak, the triumphs, the challenges that all come from ministry. And, and at the end of that letter, Paul is telling the Christians, whatever it is you do, make sure you stay close to Jesus. And fellowship, you know, Daniel, is the Greek word koinonia, which, which means intimacy, spiritual intimacy. It actually goes into more detail, but that's enough. It, it means that there has to be nothing in between you and Jesus. That's when you're the closest, the, the contact area, the, the surface area between your heart and Jesus' heart. It's got to be 100%. That's fellowship. That's the intimacy when there's nothing in between. And when that happens, uh, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Galatians chapter 5 describes what that looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all these things really is one fruit. It's the fruit of love. That love that comes from being with Jesus. And here's the, the, the wonderful thing, too. I would take it just a step further. You know, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he, he tells them at the end of, close to the end of the letter in the fifth chapter, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So part of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit. And, and, and that word there, it describes a, a continuing present tense state that says, well, I'm in the process of being filled, but I'm to continually continue to be filled. So on an ongoing basis, Daniel, we want to be filled and filled and filled again with the Holy Spirit so that we can produce the fruit of the Spirit. And there's no better thing for the believer that's when you put yourself as a Christian into a place that makes you usable. When I'm in, or when we're in, out of, out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we're in the flesh. You're either with Jesus or you're not. And, and when I'm in my flesh, I render myself useless to the Lord. Useless for ministry. I'm, I'm kind of in my own miry clay with my eyes complaining about how difficult my life is. I'm not having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I'm having fellowship with myself. And that's a miserable place to be. It's like a pig in the mud. But fellowship with the Holy Spirit, Daniel, is a great thing. I love the vivid word pictures that Paul uses. And this, to put it, Simply, it just means be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Thank you for that question. Let's go on to the next one. It's from Nikki. A friend of mine is convinced that Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, contradicts Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It states that the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Can you explain that? Yes. So, Nikki, let me read the verse first. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, 
So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, this is actually a pretty common question, and it deals with the way we count, or the way the Jews counted days. Here's the thing you need to know. There is no contradiction here. It does not contradict Good Friday, and it does not contradict Easter Sunday. Jesus died on Friday, rose on Sunday morning. So what you need to know is this. A different culture used a different method for counting days. Different culture, different method. Now, for the Jews, they counted partial days as a full day. Now, we don't normally think that way, but that's how the Jews would count their days. So, Jesus, thinking this through, died on Good Friday, even if it was in the afternoon, that counting that day, they would include the previous, which would be Thursday night, the previous night from sundown to sundown, that's how they measured their days, as one day. Saturday would be day two. And then Jesus rose on Sunday, on the morning of Sunday. And so that, again, being a partial day, would count as day three. So, quite simply, by Jewish counting, at least we have three days and nights. And Jesus rose on that third day. And we know this because the, the, the Bible actually gives us a few examples. One of them, remember back in the book of Esther, when, when Esther asked Mordecai to, to, to tell all the Jews to fast, and, and she was saying that we don't drink or eat anything for three days, night, or day. Now, why she was doing this is because she was preparing herself to approach the king. And she wanted the Jews to fast for her. And, and so in the book of Esther, in the fifth chapter, it says this, that it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. So in the same way that Jesus, after three days and three nights, rose again here, Esther, in a similar way, at least using the, the, the same Jewish method of counting days, three days and three nights would have been what four days if we count it the way we normally do. But it says here in three days, she stood in the inner court of the king's palace. Not the fourth day, but on the third day. So simply put, Nikki, this is just how they, they counted days. It's not a contradiction Thanks for your question. Let me give you the phone numbers one more time. 210-340-9585. Questions at calvarysa.com. That's the email address. And uh, we, we have a few minutes. I don't want to... Well, don't want you to wait too long because it's hard for us to take questions at the end of the show. But if you want to call right now, you still have a small window. So next question is again from Nikki. This is a good one. How can I be sure that I'm truly saved? I love this. You know, the simple answer is this, Nikki, because the word says so. It's not about what you think. It's not about how you feel. The Word of God says that if you belong to Him, He holds you in His hand. John chapter 10, Ephesians chapter 1. This is one I love. The, the, the 14th verse of Ephesians 1 says this, that the Spirit of God is a, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. This is a guarantee made by God, not by us. But it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and the Till the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, we have to ask ourselves, Nikki, on the day that we wake up and we don't feel like we're saved, on the day that it's just the, the, the fire isn't there anymore, 
as a new believer, you know, sometimes we have emotional experiences and then one day we wake up, you know, it's not there. Did I lose my salvation? What the Lord wants us to do is always go to his word because his word is trustworthy. It's reliable. Our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, and our opinions are not. And when the Bible says that the spirit that he has put in our hearts is a deposit that guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, that is a rock-solid promise that is made by God, kept by God, and fulfilled by God to the praise of his glory. This is something that uh, many new believers have to wrestle with. And, and I think this is one of those things that the Lord speaks to us and says, look, it's time for us to move on from the honeymoon experience and let's dig into the meat of my word because the word is where we can dig our claws into. We can, we can lock ourselves into that because that is true. Our emotions, our feelings, and our thoughts are. So, I hope that helps, Nikki. Next question. This one's from AJ. Once I shared the gospel with a family member that opposed the good news about Jesus. Uh, is it right or not right that I go back and share again with that family member? Good question. Always, AJ, always keep sharing Jesus. But the moment they stop listening, you stop talking. Like I mentioned earlier in a previous call, if, if, if you're forcing someone to get saved, uh, then that becomes a work of the flesh. And, and what you find, you'll see, is that people who are not saved, they sense that. And they, they re retreat even further. They don't want you to sell them anything. They just want to know if, if Jesus really is who he says he is. Well, that's going to be up to them to figure out. But you use your mouth to always keep sharing Jesus. So once you share the gospel with a family member, is it right to go back? She, yes. Sure. Keep going. As long as you're listening, you, you keep talking. Our job is simply to proclaim the message of Jesus. Uh, this reminds me of something I think I mentioned yesterday, but at, at the beginning I didn't really get to elaborate on it, but you know, when, when Saul of Tarsus first got saved, and it says there in Acts chapter 9 that he hit the ground running. It said that at once, immediately, he, he, once the scales left his eyes, he didn't get formal training. I mean, he, he was an expert in the law, but he began to preach in the synagogues. And what did he preach? That Jesus is the Son of God. He kept it very simple. And you share with your family, you keep it simple. People don't get saved because of the eloquence of our speech or because of the convincing manner in our rhetoric. It's because of Jesus. It's got to be a move of his spirit. Here's another thing to consider. I've got a few more minutes left in the show, so I want to elaborate on this thought because when you share with family, there's a different dynamic going on because they know you. They know you, and, and, and they know you in a way that maybe your coworker or your classmate or people who don't know you do. But I love this because I don't want that to be a discouragement. I want that to be an encouragement. Romans chapter 16. There are two people that are mentioned. As Paul is writing off and signing off in his letter, he mentions a whole bunch of names. And he says, these people greet you, these people greet you. And then he mentions two people, Andronicus and Junius. And the reason I bring this up is because Andronicus and Junius were, he says, uh, fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. doesn't mean they were apostles. It means that the apostles thought highly of them. But then he says this, and that they were in Christ before I was. Now think about that. Can you imagine 
Junius and Andronicus being saved before Saul got saved. What were their prayers like? They would pray for him constantly. They would witness to him if they could. And imagine the celebration, the joy, the elation when they found out that Saul became born again. Well, AJ, that's you. When you go and you share to your family, yes, there's a different dynamic there, but your job's not to convince them. Your job is to proclaim the truth. And then maybe one day you'll be like Andronicus and Junius celebrating what the Lord has done. I think it's interesting. You know, when, when Paul, the apostle, had other relatives, uh, Andronicus and Junius, he says, were relatives of mine that were saved before I was. But then he also mentions a few other people and doesn't give us a lot of detail, but, you know, you've got the nephew, the sis- his sister and her, his nephew, her son, maybe Jason from Acts chapter 17. But there were other people in his family that were saved. They risked their life for Paul because they saw the transformative power of Jesus, and they saw the fruit that came from a a truly changed life, a grateful man. And AJ, I know you, that's you. That's you. So keep sharing about Jesus. I love your heart. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your question. Oh, tomorrow, there's the music. Let me remind you, it's the date day edition. I'm excited. Get to sit in studio with my beautiful wife. But tonight here at Calvary Chapel, don't forget Pastor Lane, 7 o'clock, Old Testament study. See you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.